The Lord is risen, and He is risen indeed, and I'm glad you're here to celebrate. Yeah. Man, um, I know many of you may have been out there Friday night uh, at the Good Friday service. Man, that's just, you know, there's a lot of things to say about the, about the service, but to me the key factor is the body of Christ. There was about 2,500 there probably, and uh, just to see the body of Christ come together like that is, is incredible. And so uh, I hope you were able to celebrate. If not, I think there's going to be some streaming online of it. Maybe you can catch it uh, somewhere along the line, but man, it is good to see you. How many of you have new clothes on today? Just, uh, uh, just want to check you out. Man, all the kids would have said, yeah, probably as they went out. The story goes that, uh, there was a judge who had a, had a hearing in his court. And what it was is that there was an atheist who was upset that the atheist did not have their own day. So he had his counsel go to represent him and and uh, go before the judge, and um, and the judge says uh, that the case is going to be dismissed. And the counsel says, "What do you What do you mean? Uh, the Christians have their day. They have Christmas and they have Easter, and the Jews have their day. They have Hanukkah and Yom Kippur, and and uh, but yet the atheists do not have a day of their own. So how can you dismiss this case?" And he says, "Well, counsel, it's because it's because of your ignorance and not knowing that you already have a day." And he says, what do you mean by that? He said, well, the Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So April 1st is Fool's uh, Fool's Day, so you have your day. So today we are celebrating Atheist Day and Resurrection Day on the same day. So there you go. I I don't know if that will ever happen again, but uh, here we are today. And uh, Ben, it's good, good to see you. You know, there's certain things that all of us have in common. It's been said and jokingly that there's two things that everybody has in common, death and taxes. And uh, we know that when we start talking about taxes, we argue which community has the higher taxes and how much we pay and that kind of thing. But I do know that death is something we all have in common. Uh, I wish I could stand up here and say, oh, you're going to be able to cheat death and it's not going to happen, but, but it does happen. It does occur. And sometimes it's what we call premature Sometimes it's it's later on, but death uh, comes to us all. But yet mankind from the beginning has tried to cheat death. He has tried everything he can. Ted Williams, who was the last baseball Hall of Famer to bat 400, when Ted Williams passed away in 2002, one of the things he had written up was that his body, once he died, his body would be sent to Arizona to the cryogenics lab And what happens was is that they would put him in liquid nitrogen until the time when they would find a cure for whatever uh, Ted Williams passed away from. And so what they did is they removed the head and put it in liquid nitrogen and have a larger one that his body is put in Arizona, uh, also in liquid nitrogen. I read that it cost the family $134,000 to have this done, and they still owe 110000 on that. It, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, Ted Williams is gone. Uh, his body, his shell may still be in liquid nitrogen, but it's gone. Harry Houdini, uh, Harry Houdini was an escape artist in the early 1900s in the United States. And uh, Harry Houdini could escape from anything. In fact, he said he could escape from anything. They would put him in jail cells, he would escape. They put him in coffins. He would be able to escape. Anything they put him in, he was able to escape from. But on October the 31st, 1926, Harry Houdini died. He died 
actually from a ruptured appendix. Uh, he got in a freakish accident, a college student, and actually Harry Houdini had said, you know, anybody can hit me in the abdomen and I can take it. Well, he wasn't ready, and this college student came and hit him a couple of times. And it actually, uh, this is, this is uh, they're not sure about this because can a appendix rupture from a blow? You know, they don't know. But that, that's actually what happened is appendix ruptured, but a little, little, that's neither here nor there. But on October 31st, 1926, Harry Houdini died. But one of the things he said to his wife before he passed away was this. If there's any way to escape from the afterlife, from death, I will do it. I tell you, I will do it. And this is what I'll do. is that the, the next time I appear to you will be on the anniversary of my death, October 31st. So his wife, on October the 31st, prepared herself there for Harry Houdini to return. Didn't happen. She did that for 10 straight years. And then at that time, she figured it's not going to happen. I guarantee you it's not going to happen. But uh, she didn't have to waste 10 years on October 31st for that to happen. But Harry Houdini did what he could to try to cheat death. And then he thought he could escape from it once he had gotten there. But he couldn't. We have seen this through the years. In our day, we're doing everything we can to cheat death. We extend life. Uh, sometimes to, um, I'm not sure it's a positive thing, but we try to extend life as much as we can. We try to stay as healthy as we can. We eat, we exercise, we do these things. But eventually, death overcomes us all. And, and this is a struggle. And in our day, this is, I, I, I want to share with you this, is that there are different worldviews when it comes to death. Uh, one is annihilation. In other words, this is a, 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 a person who has a secular humanist view. In other words, all you can accomplish is on this planet that once you die, you return to dust. Everything is gone. Total annihilation. That is one worldview of death. Some of you may hold that in here. I don't know. A second worldview is uh, reincarnation. In fact, several religions hold to this, that you reincarnate, that you, uh, when you pass away, you come back as something else. I don't know what that may be, but, but the deal is you want to climb the ladder every, every time until you reach your nirvana, you reach your, uh, you reach what is considered, uh, I guess perfection. Um, I want to return as our dog because man, you talk about an easy life, man. That is what I want to return as our dog. But, uh, reincarnation, that circle of life, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, thought. And this is a worldview that, that exists today. But there's a third worldview that there's an afterlife. Now, we as Christ followers believe that there is an afterlife. There is a heaven um, for the children of God. There is a hell for those that have rejected Christ. We believe this, but we're, Christians are not the only ones that hold to a, an afterlife. But, but uh, this is what we hold to. Let me tell you, in our day, the, the worldview that scares me the most. You ready? It's this one. It's moral deism. Moral deism is what... Most of the people in the United States believe. Let me tell you what it is. Moral deism says this. If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God is obligated to take me to a better place. This scares me to death. I mean, this is what has infiltrated the worldview of the United States. And, and, and what it says is, is literally is that I can find somebody that I'm better at. God is obligated to take me. I mean, when was the last time somebody had the guts to be at a funeral and say, you know, Uncle Joe is in hell today because he rejected Christ? 
No, he's in a better place, right? No more pain. He's, he's not suffering anymore. He may have been uh, terrible, but there was somebody that he was better at. And so God is obligated to take Uncle Joe to heaven. Man, that is a scary, scary, scary worldview. And it's not biblical at all. But yet many in our country hold to that. Paul was dealing with the same thing with a group of people. And if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because in the church in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, it was a Greek city um, that they were struggling in the church. They, you read the whole book of uh, 1 Corinthians. Man, they had moral problems in the church. They had church division in the church. They, had, uh, they were struggling over different things in the church. They had all kinds of problems. But, but a lot of that comes down to this incredible struggle they had with the resurrection, the fact that, that death was coming, and uh, they didn't know how to handle it, and they hear about the resurrection. Let me share with you two biblical thoughts before I read the scripture to you. One is this: these were not first century; uh, these were not first generation believers. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't walk with Jesus. They uh, uh, they they heard about the cross. They heard about the resurrection, but they didn't see it. And so they were going by what the first generation had told them. And and what happened is, is certain people were starting to die. And as they died, they thought, well, we thought Christ would return before this happened. So they're struggling with this. You and I are a generation well removed. And, and here's the deal. If each generation does not take seriously about sharing to the next generation, woe is us. And so what's taking place in kids' church and in our kids' ministry and youth ministry today is so vital that we pass on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But this is where these people are struggling. The other one is, is that resurrection in the Greek thought was not real. They just had an annihilation view. So here he's talking to these people, and this is what they're struggling with. And now it says this in verse 1 through 5. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Uh, he says, we're getting back to the basics here, basically, and, and, and this is what I want to get back to. I want to remind you of the gospel, and here's the deal. You can know the gospel, but if you haven't received it, you have not committed to it, you have not by faith received it, you have not set your life upon it, you have not truly responded to the gospel, Okay? So somebody just says, well, there's universalism, God takes everybody, you're wrong. There must be a response. And then it says in verse 2, By this gospel you were saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What I'm about to say to you, Paul's saying this, what I'm about to say to you is priority. This is first importance. And here's what it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. This is the gospel, okay? He's saying, listen, I'm going to get back to basics, okay? And we're going to get back to basics this morning. Here are the basics. This is the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus appeared to others. Okay? This is the gospel. Now, I want you to hear me on this. The gospel is not built on feelings, but on facts. Okay? So if somebody says, do you feel saved? 
Do you, have you had an experience with God? Have, have you had this uh, euphoric feeling kind of thing? Listen, it's not built on your feelings. We love feelings. We love to have a worship encounter that we lift our hands or we, we have these goosebump kind of feelings and we just get emotional. We love those kind of things. But I tell you what, that does not mean you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is built on the facts that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus appeared. So you may be here and you've had some fuzzies, warm fuzzies, but I'm telling you, have you responded to the facts? Our faith is built on facts, not on some experience. Now, what it goes on here is that Paul gets a little bit deeper. And going down to verse 12 with me. In verse 12, he starts dealing with this question. What if the resurrection really did not occur? Okay? And the same question this morning. What if the resurrection really did not happen? Then April Fool's Day is for us. Okay? It's, we, we are the fools. If Jesus did not raise from the dead. And so this is what it says beginning in verse 12. It says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is just saying, listen, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, your faith is in vain. Our preaching is useless. Uh, We are to be pitied. We are fools. Now, I took what Paul said and I broke it down into three things that I want to give you today is that if Christ did not raise from the dead, okay? First of all, if Christ did not raise from the dead, we have no promise. All of the promises that were made to us by Christ, all the promises of Scripture are null and void because the fact is Jesus said He rose from the dead and and the Scripture said He rose from the dead. If He did not raise from the dead, then all of those promises that we were promised are null and void. One of them is this. Any loved one that has passed on before, gone. You're not going to see them again. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. You're not going to see them again. They're gone. So all these talk about they're in a better place and that kind of stuff. No. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, there's no promise there. There's no promise that 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 person uh, has gone on to anywhere. There's no hope beyond what we experience. So this is all there is, right? I mean... If, if the promises are not true, this is it. Um, our sin has doomed us. We don't have a chance. So this is all there is. Um, we, we have no promise of, of, a, of a future beyond this. So why not live for ourselves? This is all there is. Um, so why, why go through suffering? Why try to live anything differently? I mean, this is it. There's no promises if Jesus did not raise from the dead. He, he's a false teacher. 
And any follower of a false teacher should be done away with. We are fools. So any promise that you have, if he did not raise from the dead, according to the Scriptures, is null and void. I, uh, I thought about, many of you read in the paper <clears throat> over the last few weeks in, in Africa, the, the young ladies from Boko Haram, and, and they were taken by the Boko Haram, and, and, uh, and some of them were returned. And, um, but there were, there were some not returned. The reason they were not returned is that they, these young ladies would not uh, renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. Why would you do that if there's no promise beyond here? Why would a young lady say, I know you're going to rape me, you're going to torture me and probably kill me, but I will not renounce Jesus? Why would you do that if he was not one who rose from the dead? What kind of faith would we have in that kind of situation? So there's no promise. There's no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise beyond here. So this is all there is. Live for today. Okay? If Jesus did not raise from the dead. Here's number two. If Jesus did not raise from the dead. There's no purpose for being here. I mean, there's really no purpose. I mean, why are we even here if, if that is the case? Why serve other people? Because the philosophy, if I don't have a purpose... Beyond myself, it is this. You ready? I, I get all I can. I can all I get. I sit on the can and I keep other people from getting to my can. I mean, that's, that's what I'm going to do if, if, I have, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. I don't have a purpose. Now, I may do some good things. I, I, I'm not ignorant and I've get, been given some knowledge. I've been able to do certain things. But really, my purpose of serving humanity and loving other people sacrificially, no way. I'm not going to do that. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I, I, I can't see that as a purpose. Um, I, I will just live my life for me. I will just live for what I can get out of it and flatten anybody else that gets in my way. I, I read this, that there's a worldview that has crept in to our culture today that has really taken hold and it's one word it's this whatever whatever this is a worldview that scares me it's just whatever happens oh you know there's no purpose behind it it's just whatever i'll just do whatever if jesus did not raise from the dead we have no promises we have no purpose but the third one is this we have no power we have no power to change our sin has, has taken us down. And we, listen, some of us are pretty good sinners and some of us are rotten sinners. Some of us have cleaned ourselves up a little bit and some have just, are out there in the open. But there's no power to change if Christ did not raise from the dead. That means he did not leave his spirit, that his promises are null and void. You have no hope. And the only hope you have is in your own ability. Those addictions and those sin issues and those things that keep haunting you and haunting you and haunting you, no matter how many self-help books you get and how many uh, Dr. Phil's you watch and all these kind of stuff, you are still doomed in what you can do. And there's no power to change. There's no power for salvation. This came out of the resurrection. You know, the, Paul even said in Romans 8 that, that we are not a saved apart from His Holy Spirit. So, so 
you have no power. You, you have none of this. You have no power to overcome. You have no power. Here, here's one. You have no power to love others. We, we love, we love in, a, in, a, in a simple love, which means I love you as long as you're fulfilling a need for me, but I can't love you unconditionally. We're at the mercy of a fallen, broken world if Jesus did not raise from the dead. Gosh, isn't that hopeless? You can say yes. Okay. It's just, it's just hopeless that there is, there is no promises. There is no purpose. There is no power if Christ did not raise from the dead. But I have staked my life on the belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so with that, I just want to read to you some statements if Jesus rose from the dead, okay? You're not going to have time to write these down. I can put them in an in a email to you. But, but here's the deal. If Jesus did rise, if Jesus is the Son of God, His teachings are more than just good ideas from a wise teacher. They are divine insights on which I can confidently build my life. Number two, if Jesus sets the standard for morality, I can now have an unwavering foundation for my choices and decisions rather than basing them on the ever-shifting sands of expediency and self-centeredness. Number three, if Jesus did rise from the dead, he's still alive today and available for me to encounter on a personal basis. Number four, if Jesus conquered death, he can open the door of eternal life for me too. Number five, if Jesus has divine power, he has the supernatural ability to guide me and help me and transform me as I follow him. Number seven, if Jesus personally knows the pain of loss and suffering, he can comfort and encourage me in the midst of the turbulence that he himself warned is inevitably in a world corrupted by sin. Number eight, if Jesus loves me as he says, he has my best interest at heart. That means I have nothing to lose and everything to gain by committing myself to him and his purposes. And number nine, if Jesus is who he claims to be as my creator, he rightfully deserves my allegiance, obedience, and worship if Jesus rose from the dead. So what about you and me today? Oh, most of you are Christians in here. You've been doing Easter all forever. You know how to play the game, put on the new clothes. You know the church schedule even. But I'm asking you this morning, how have you responded to the facts? I, I, I'm not saying, have you had a goosebumply encounter with God? I'm asking, have you made a conscious decision about the fact that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus has appeared to others? If you cannot receive that gospel, the Scriptures tell me you're not a follower of Christ. But Mark, it didn't say anything about asking Jesus into your heart in there. No. It's an encounter of believing the facts. You come and you commit yourself to the fact that that is what the gospel is. So how have you responded to that? Number two is this. What are you basing your eternity on? I mean, really, what are you basing your eternity on? Your good looks? Some of you are doing really well. But some of you... I love you. 
but what are you basing your eternity on, really? Is it on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that, and that he defeated death? Listen, you're still going to taste death. These earth suits are flawed. But there's an eternal life. What are you basing it on? And then thirdly, third question is this. Have you today had just an experience with the risen Christ? And you're saying, Mark, you said about experiences versus encounters. Yeah, I know. But I know the Scriptures teach me that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and He ascended, that He sent His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit to bring comfort, to bring conviction, to bring guidance, to bring, uh, bring us to that point of transformation. And today, some of you just need to experience Him afresh and anew. And I, and I, was, I was reflecting on something that the Lord showed me this week that a lot of times, and I want you to hear me, if you tune me out, I want you to hear where I'm going for the next couple of minutes, is this. Many people are missing an abundant life with Jesus Christ because of their past. Their past has haunted them. They have had an encounter with Christ. They've put their faith in the gospel. They know that, but yet their past is still haunting them. And thinking like God doesn't know their past, but if anybody else knows my past, you know, if God holds my past against me, He may let me into heaven, but I'll have smoke on my robe or whatever, that kind of thing, you know, because we think that God just can't deal with that. And, and there's other things like that that are keeping us from experiencing the full life in Christ. I really believe there is. Some of it's religiosity, but I'm not going to go there right now. But I read something this week, and I want you to, I want you to hear this right quick. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the book of Daniel, uh, that you, if you don't know the story of, of what happened, is Daniel and, and some of his buddies were taken into exile in Babylon. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three of these guys. And uh, the king had built this image of himself. And uh, the basic deal, anytime the, the, the music started and the image was there, everybody was supposed to bow down, okay? And so uh, this is what was supposed to take place. Well, it happens. Here's the image. The music starts. Everybody's to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no way are we going to bow down to your image. And so uh, the king is told that, so the king gets angry at him. So what does he do? He says, we're going to put him in the fiery furnace. We're going to put them in this furnace that is so hot that it's just going to incinerate them and burn them up. And so when they hear, he hears that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down, what he does was is he says he, he, put, he made the fire even hotter, and even the guys that were going to throw them in the fiery furnace were going to get consumed by the fire. It was that hot. So what happens is he takes them, he throws them into the fire, and... Uh, the, even the guys that threw them in got burned. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace. And as they're in there, they're walking around in the fire. And the king looks in there. He said, didn't we not put three men in? Why are there four in there? Which most historians and theological studies say, well, it was just Christ in the middle of that fire with them. And so he is there with them in the midst of the fire. And uh, what happens, though, is that the king knows they're not going to be consumed. So what he did is he comes and he gets them out of there. And, uh, and this is what it says. It says that, hear this, none of their clothes were burned. No hair on their hair, head was singed. And then it said this, they did not even smell like smoke. Now, what the Lord was just kind of hitting my heart was, some of you need to know today 
that your past is not even smelling like smoke to God. He's dealt with it. He dealt with it through the cross and through His resurrection. And some of us today want to have something to celebrate. We celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. We celebrate that we have the promises, that we have purpose, that we have power. But I want you to know that we celebrate because we know we have an eternity beyond here. I want you to bow your heads with me just a moment. Listen, you came, you know the story. You know how the women came that morning and that the tomb was empty. But have you encountered the facts of the gospel? If it was all said and done and you were to stand before the Lord today and He were to say, why should I let you into my eternity? What would you say? Would it be on your good works? Listen, that's the wrong answer. Would it be that you were baptized and you did the church thing? Not a good answer. It's all built on the fact that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus appeared. Are you willing today to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you desperately. I put my faith in this fact. Lord Jesus, you're real. Your resurrection is real. I ask that you would change and transform me into the man or woman that you desire for me to be. That's your prayer today. God sees your heart. He knows your heart. In just a moment, there's going to be people up here to pray with you. There's going to be elders and prayer team and pastors to pray with you. These steps become an altar. We, We just... You know, we just believe that sometimes there's a need for a public response and not not for others to look at you. It's for you to be able just to nail down what the Lord is saying to you right now. We also have the Lord's Supper on my left. Um, Maybe your family or you as an individual need that. But uh, today, what what is the Lord just prompting your heart? Lord, I pray over the next few moments that you would speak and that we would obey. We would obey.